That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up, everyone? It's Dr. Will Cole, and welcome to The Art of Being Well. I am a leading functional medicine expert. I consult people around the world. I started one of the first functional medicine telehealth centers in the world over a decade ago, and I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Intuitive Fasting, which is my newest book, The Inflammation Spectrum, and Ketotarian. If you want to learn more about my clinical work, the telehealth center, the books, and there's loads of free content there as well. You can check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. All right, let's get to today's guest. She is freaking brilliant and a good friend of mine. Her name is Heather White. Heather White is a lawyer and writer and a nationally recognized sustainability expert with more than 20 years experience. She writes about eco-anxiety, which you're going to learn all about today, conservation, and the climate crisis from the beautiful state of Montana. She also runs her own consulting firm for foundations, businesses, and nonprofits to create a healthier, greener, and more equitable world. She is the former head of the nonprofit partner to Yellowstone National Park, the past executive director for the Environmental Working Group, or EWG, and Director of Education Advocacy at the National Wildlife Federation, former Senate staffer, and a staffer on Al Gore's presidential campaign in 2000. She has a BA in Environmental Science from the University of Virginia and a JD from the University of Tennessee College of Law. She's a frequent spokesperson on environmental issues and has been cited in the New York Times, The Guardian, The Washington Post, My Body Green, and has appeared on Dr. Oz, PBS, NewsHour, CBS Morning News, and Fox News. In 2015, she was recognized by Green Building and Design Magazine with the National Women in Sustainability Leadership Award and was deemed one of My Body Green's 100 Women to Watch in Wellness. Today's conversation is so rich with really actionable steps for your health, wellness, and so much more. We talk about this concept of eco-anxiety that she talks about and what that actually means. We talk about climate change 
and how to start making a positive impact and how it really impacts your health. We talk about how completing daily green actions can create regenerative ways of living. We talk about how and why she became so passionate about environmental studies. We talk about breaking down the three factors of the eco-anxiety trifecta, the benefits of regenerative farming for your health and for the health of the planet. We talk about the very exciting science about forest bathing, what that means and how it can really help your health and the importance of creating an exciting vision for the future of green energy. So much good stuff. Let's get right to it. And right after my conversation with Heather, don't miss another Ask Me Anything where I answer one of your burning health questions. All right, let's get to it. My conversation with Heather White. Heather White, thank you so much for being on the show. It's such a joy to reconnect, Will, and to be on this podcast. I'm, I'm thrilled. Thank you oh, for the opportunity. Goodness. Yeah, the pleasure is all mine. And we met years ago. It's, I think uh, you remind me, is six years ago? Is six it? years ago, if you can believe that. Wow. Yeah, it revitalized. It was the first revitalized, right? Yes. So, which is Mind Body Green's amazing event they have every year. And it's I, I heard it's called the the United Nations of Wellness. <laughs> and I think that's a won. great name for it. It's a great name for it. So it's in the deserts of uh, outside of Tucson every year. And the first year, and I have to say this, I was based in Pittsburgh. I wrote a lot for Mind Body Green. One of the first, as were you, the first sort of contributors to Mind Body Green back in the day. But I wasn't in New York. I wasn't in LA. I didn't know, know a lot of these people. And you were one of the first people to come up and make me feel welcome and connected with people. And I sat at the table with you, sat with you. And I thank you so much. That meant a lot then. And it means a lot now still. Oh, well, thank you so much, Will. I feel the same way. I remember sitting next to you and we just met all these incredible people. Do you remember Steph Davis, who was the squirrel? Yes. Uh, what do they call them? Squirrel flyer? Yes. Uh, that's not the right. What, what is the name? No. I should know. I'm in Montana. She was like a, I, a, she's a, <laughs> it was like a free, free, free jump. Free, free jumper. Base jumping, base jumping. Base jumper. Thank base you. Jumping. Yeah, yeah, base jumping. Okay, yeah. the nerds got it. I want everyone to know that the nerds remembered what the term was. Base jumping. Remember yeah. she had her squirrel suit. Yes, and, and she, she had lost t- so many friends to base jumping and she still had a passion to do it. Exactly, it exactly. It was just, it was really, but, but I mean, so many interesting people came into our lives through mm-hmm. that gathering. And I love the United Nations of wellness, because I feel like every single time that I've gone to that, mm-hmm. there has been a lesson that I personally needed to hear for mm-hmm. my own wellness journey. It's yeah. just been a remarkable experience. And I'm so glad you came into my life through yeah, my body too. green. I feel the same way. We've been friends ever since. So it's like almost like summer camp too. It's like you get, you see your friends wanting to see you at summer camp and you maybe talk to them a few times in between, but it's similar. Exactly. For exactly. adults in wellness. No, it's summer camps for, for adults. Exactly. And there's lots of exercise, just exercise yeah. and healthy food, just so yeah. everybody knows. Yeah. And it's like boot camp, all the good stuff. Yeah. So you have had and I haven't said to you this in person, but a career that I've really watched and work that is super important and super 
you've been an inspiration to me as far as me learning about things I didn't know about. I'm in functional medicine, but you're teaching me the wellness beyond the human body, which impacts the human body. Uh, and it's all interconnected. We're part of nature. But you did amazing work with the Environmental Working Group. And then afterwards, you've done amazing stuff in the national park world. And just, could you fill people in? I introduced sure. you at the top of the show, but I want to you to- Yeah. yeah well, thank you so in. much, Will, because I think that- you know, as much as I love um, public lands, like the the view behind me is uh, mm. Lava Lake. It's a wonderful trail right outside of Bozeman, Montana, where I'm based. The environment isn't someplace you go on vacation only, right? Although it's a great place for vacation, just like you said, it's part of our wellness. It's part of who we are. It's mm -hmm. the water that we, we drink. It's the food that we eat. It's the air that we breathe. And that's really been my professional journey. So I love science. I love politics. I love policy. I went to law school. I worked on Capitol Hill for a while. Uh, I was executive director of Environmental Working Group, uh, which is a terrific resource for healthy living and, and clean living and really understanding the connections between the environment and health. And then I spent some time at the National Wildlife Federation, uh, the world's largest conservation organization doing environmental education with an emphasis of getting kids outside, just to have that downtime to connect with nature. And then I ended up here in Bozeman uh, working for the nonprofit partner of Yellowstone National Park. And now I'm on my own, I'm writing and consulting and doing a lot of work in the healthy food space and also trying to focus on outdoor education and connecting kids to nature. So cool. And we both have kids. Our kids are similar ages too. Mine's 14 and 11. How old are your kids? Yes, I have 13 and 15 year olds. So yeah, Gen Z, Gen, yeah. Generation Z is in our house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. We could do, we'll have to get to that too, because I have some questions about that. But sure. uh, when I met you, you were living in DC, this yes. like urban DC yep. life. And I remember that decision of like, I'm moving to Montana. And <laughs> how was that move? How was that move to the middle of Montana? Well, it, it was hard because of the ages of my kids. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my older daughter was starting middle school. My younger daughter was in the fourth grade. Um, my sweet, wonderful husband grew up in the DC area. We love the West, but it was just a big, big change. But it's been a wonderful move for us. We um, enjoy just the proximity we have to all of the public lands here, you know, hiking, camping. These are the things that we love to do, but it was such a mm -hmm. hassle in DC, you know, two hour drive to get to the Shenandoah National Park, or mm -hmm. it just required a lot more effort. And so now we can, there's a wonderful program in Bozeman called Mountains to Main Street. So literally from our house, we can be to the mountains. Um, you, wow. know, you can either mountain bike or cross country ski or just walk or snowshoe. There's a lot of snow. So that's why I said snowshoe. <laughs> There's a, lot, a lot of winter here, but it's been great. It's been a wonderful, I think for our wellness and for our health also will. And I know you know this about me. Um, I'm super type A. I'm super type A, high strung, Washington, D.C., running to all my meetings. And it's been great to just take it down a notch uh, for yeah. me. And it's been really good for my kids, too. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. It's, so you wouldn't go back. You're, you're there. Do you consider yourself a Montanan? I do. I do. I mean, I, I do fill the pool, obviously, just from my you know, my background um, in, in politics and government working on campaigns, I'm very excited about the new administration. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so um, if Kamala Harris calls me, we might have to have a talk. <laughs> yeah. 
I think that is within the realm of like, it's probably going to happen if they know what's right. If they know who to go to, it's going to happen. Thank you, Will. Thank you, of Will. Course. But unless that happens, we're, we're going to stay put for a while too, especially as you know, when your kids get in high school. Yeah, um, they get integrated. Kind of and get integrated in everything. But, but wellness is a, a big part of the community here, which mm-hmm. has been not so much in DC. DC is very much lots of coffee, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Drinking Different. at receptions, uh, long lunches <laughs> with members of Congress, stuff like that, and and here it's it's definitely a focus on wellness and the outdoors. For sure, we actually I, I plan. I've been telling you this for years, and I want to make it out to Montana. My wife wants to move to Montana and live in a yurt off the grid, <laughs> and I was going to take like my whole team and I were going to go to Montana this past this past year, but 2020 we know last year was pretty crazy. So we couldn't make it out there. Yeah. Uh, but when things calm down, I it's on my top of my list to make it out to you. Please come. I would love to show you around Yellowstone and there's all kinds of wonderful for, forest service trails outside of the park to go experience. But it's pretty, it's pretty amazing seeing herds of bison, you know, and to think that there were, I think something like 160 million yeah. at some point all through the Midwest and the Western United States. It's really, it's a magical experience. It is Mm -hmm. Yellowstone for sure. And then just the, of course, Glacier National Park is incredible too. So wonderful Mm -hmm. places to really connect with something larger than ourselves. Yeah. You know, what, what nature created. There's so much about fertility. That's a complete mystery to people. And that's where the modern fertility hormone test comes in. Think of your fertility hormones as tiny little detectives. They can bring you tons of insight into your egg count, reproductive timeline, and even possible outcomes for egg freezing and IVF. Everything you need to know to be proactive about your fertility. That's why Modern Fertility was created. It's the easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Traditional testing with your doctor can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility only costs $159 to get the same information. And if you go to modernfertility.com slash Will Cole, you can get $20 off your test. Also, if you have an HSA or FSA, you can use those dollars on Modern Fertility. You'll get insight into how many eggs you have, your hormone levels, and other really important fertility factors. The results go deep into what every hormone means, and you can also talk one-on-one with a fertility nurse to review your results and options for next steps. If you want kids today or maybe one day in the future, you need information to make the decision that's best for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash willcole. That means your test will cost only $139 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost you at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash Will Cole. Modernfertility.com slash Will Cole. Today's program is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive daily nutritional beverage. With so many stressors in life, It's difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits sometimes and give our bodies the nutrients it needs to truly thrive. Busy schedules, poor sleep, exercise, the environment, stress, or simply not eating enough of the right foods can leave us deficient in key nutrients. 
This is where Athletic Greens can really help us. It is a life-changing nutritional habit. Their daily all-in-one superfood powder is your nutritional essential. It is by far the easiest and most delicious nutritional habit that you can add to your daily routine today and empower towards better habits for the rest of your life. They simplify the logistics of getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis by giving you just one thing with all of the best things. I'm consulting patients 10, 11 hours a day, back to back. I need something super nutrient dense and super convenient. And that's where Athletic Greens comes in for me. Just one tasty scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, a probiotic, green superfood blend, and so much more that all work synergistically together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet, increasing your energy and your focus, aiding with digestion and gut health, and supports a healthy immune system, all without the need to take multiple products or pills. And right now, Athletic Greens is offering my audience a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit my link today. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash Cole and join health experts like myself, athletes, and health-conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash Cole and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. Hi, this is Deborah Messing. And I'm Andana Dayani. We decided to create a podcast to introduce you to the people who inspire us most. These are the dissenters. The people who just made a decision one day to break down the establishment and build a new one. In the greatest times of grief or even the most ordinary of circumstances, many heroes will rise. You just have to take that first step. So please tune in. We can be found anywhere you listen to podcasts. There are heroes everywhere. Discover them. Become one. So let's talk about it. This is something that is that you've been shedding a lot of light on, and I've learned a lot about this concept of eco-anxiety. But for people that don't know what it is, what is eco-anxiety? A great question, Will. So eco-anxiety, a lot of people have, but they don't know the right term for it. Mm -hmm. The American Psychological Association calls it the chronic fear of environmental doom. Mm. It is not a DSM or diagnostic statistics manual. Yeah. It's not an official psychological disorder, but we're seeing more and more people, especially young people, experiencing generalized anxiety, but on top of that, a lot of concern about climate change and what is happening with the environment, especially as more and more science comes out about the impacts of climate change. Absolutely. The recently, The Guardian uh, reported about that half of child psychiatrists in the UK reported having clients with eco-anxiety. Are we seeing the same thing here with, with people in the United States? We are. We're seeing more and more psychiatrists and uh, psychologists experiencing this on you know, behalf of their patients coming in and talking about the concern, especially Generation Z, which, you know, our kids are in Generation Z. Those are mm -hmm. kids born after 1997. Their concern is, what does their future look like? The next 10 years, we know, is very critical when it comes to climate action. Mm -hmm. And there's concern about what they are actually inheriting. 
So let's talk about that. I mean, I, I hear statistics on documentaries I'm watching or books that I'm reading, and these are really sobering, imminent, relatively imminent predictions. But can you tell everybody, and we're talking about eco-anxiety, and I don't want to add to that anxiety here, but at the same time, I think it's important to talk about the facts of, of what's out there. Like, what, what is the state of climate change today? It's uh, to say it's imminent and to say it ur is urgent is an understatement. As you know, well, the, mm -hmm. the International uh, Panel on Climate Change, the IPPC, has said that we have 10 years to take drastic action because we're reaching a loop, a point almost of no return where the global warming is creating more global warming and there's a cycle there. A great example of what we're experiencing is really what we saw back in 2020. You know, we, mm -hmm. we saw, we started the year off with the Australian wildfires where, you know, hundreds, if not millions of acres were impacted by the fires. And then we also, of course, had our own experience with the fires in September of 2020 in California, in Oregon, in Washington. And for those who are not in the Western part of the United States, you heard about it, but experiencing the orange skies uh, above San Francisco and in LA were very much an apocalyptic experience for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. The Arctic also hit 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, there was a part of the Arctic shelf that fell off in July that was 48 square miles. I mean, just unbelievable impacts that we're seeing right now. Mm -hmm. And our kids are aware of this. And what's so interesting is that they find out through social media. It's not just in their science classes that they're taking. It's actually they're sharing this information with one another. It's yeah. not just who's at what party. It's <laughs> look at what's happening around us. Right. It's, it's true. I mean, the kids are, are seeing this and it's probably to be a child or to be an adolescent, a teenager, to not really have, you know, you're not really well respected necessarily in society or given a voice. And I'm so glad that you're, you're talking about this. So before I, I we go back into eco-anxiety, I, I remember... I watch a lot of David Attenborough. He's like one of my like heroes of just bringing light to the world and the planet and nature. And he talks about these, these statistics or even he highlights what's happening on the polar ice caps with something like the walruses. They can't find a place to hunt and they're like all jumped on these tiny little mountains before they had vast amounts of area to hunt. And now they don't. Um, is this kind of what you're seeing as well? Is this what you're talking about? Exactly. Yes. We're seeing it. Wildlife impacts. Um, it's, you know, you mentioned walruses. We've seen it with polar bears. We've seen it with all kinds of what we say in the environmental world, charismatic megafauna, um, the the species that, that we love. Uh, mm -hmm. But we've also seen huge challenges just with, with the human impact too. Right. Mm -hmm. For example, we've had so many hurricanes in the Atlantic back in, in 2020 that the naming convention, you know, that you name them out, you know, from A mm -hmm. through Z, we we ran out of the 26 in the in our alphabet. And then we also um, had to switch. All right. Absolutely. If you're absolutely right. I mean, I'm seeing it as like, oh my, I'm an animal lover and I see these like poor little animals, but you're absolutely right. The human impact this is having is real. I, I talked to Mark Hyman last year uh, and what he's trying to do of getting a 
positive lobbyist groups in Washington, D.C. to make real change. And you're doing similar work here. He even talked about the fact that there'll be areas of the world that will be underwater if we don't do something different. Is that, did I say that correctly? You did. You did say that correctly. And here's the thing. We can do it. We absolutely can do it. Here's the challenge. Heather and Will cannot alone. Even if we, you know, don't have any meat for the rest of our lives, even if we buy solar panels and never take a plane again and ride our bikes everywhere, we will not solve climate change, Heather and Will. Mm -hmm. But what we can do as individuals is act each day with intention, which is one of the big focuses that I have. And you're talking about this positive frame of doing one green thing a day. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important because action abates anxiety, but it also creates culture change because we need policy solutions. We need industry to act and step up, but we also need very big policy solutions like carbon tax or Green New Deal. There's all kinds of different mechanisms and paths, but if Mm -hmm. we don't have the culture shift, those policy changes won't be successful. Absolutely. So how do you juggle that? Because I'm talking to you as someone that's learning. I'm a student of learning from you and I'll say things inartfully and I'm just curious and want to learn about this stuff. And I realize I deal with patients with anxiety and whether there's physiological aspects of society or circumstantial aspects of anxiety. So how do you educate people about the imminent issues that are going on in the world, but still be cognizant and put that in context with, with things like eco-anxiety? It's a big challenge. And I think it's something that the environmental movement really needs to come to grips with. Because just as you know, we started off our discussion, the studies, the predictions are overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And, and they're true. It, it's, it's, it's happening. It's going to happen if we don't act quickly. So how you have a sense of urgency, but also don't reach a point where people just shut down because right. it's overwhelming. And that's where that anxiety happens. So mm-hmm. So what, what my, my solution is, is action, daily action, small, but meaningful. And everything from taking a walk in your neighborhood park with your kids or spending meaningful time with a pet or composting, all of these little actions add up, but they also reduce your anxiety and send kind of a signal out to your community that it's really important that we we act. But this is this is something that I think we could have lots of conversations about mm-hmm. and something that the whole environmental community, like, uh, for example, you know, Will, one of my good friends was telling me who doesn't identify as an environmentalist, like, obviously I'm an environmentalist, but she's like, I'm not an environmentalist. And, her, and I asked her why. And she said, she's afraid that environmentalists are going to take stuff away from her. Hmm. And, you know, I get that. I mean, I get that, but that's not the intent because we can, to kind of Dr. Hyman's point, we can create a way of living, you know, and the the art of being well, we can Mm -hmm. do this. We can create a way of living that's regenerative, that's circular, that's positive, that recycles, you know, reuses and reduces that helps deal with anxiety, but also moves these big solutions forward. Mm-hmm. That's interesting that your friend said that. I mean, so it's the way of life, our modern luxurious way of life. That's what she was afraid of that being impinged upon. Right, right. Interesting. And it, it can be in some ways, but also in, in other ways, it's not. Like for me, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is so dorky, but 
I love the first thing I did during the pandemic was I started my composter. It's like one of the the guilty things. Like my 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 hidden secret is that I didn't have I didn't have a composter, you know, as someone who's really <laughs> focused on the environment. So I had to come to terms with that. And um I, I started my composter. I felt like I was Laura from Little House on the Prairie. Yes. You know, getting the composter yes. going. And it's so much fun. You know, it's not taking away, it's fun. I, I enjoy it. So that's one of the things that I think we all need to do a better job of is making sure people see that taking these steps is fun. Like riding your bike over to a friend's house, you know, for for a dinner party and putting something in the in your backpack, it can actually be fun. If it's a neighbor, you don't have to drive, you know, the eight mm-hmm. blocks to your neighbor's house. You know, there's little things that we can do Absolutely. that can kind of shift that, that paradigm that people have when they think about environmentalists that way. Right. And that's something that you started a while ago that I've been following on social media is this one green thing a day, which we'll get to. I want, I want people to, to know about this, but you're starting a movement. I don't know if you see it. It's tough when you're the person doing it, but I, this is something that like you said, action abates anxiety. And these are simple things that people can cultivate. They don't have to be world policy changers to make a difference and really help with this eco-anxiety. So what what got you interested in this? What? How did you even start to be passionate about it and talk about it? Great question, Will. I mean, obviously I've studied climate change, you know, energy policy my whole career from working on Capitol Hill in the Senate to, to work in EWG and then with a nonprofit partner to Yellowstone. It was my kids. Uh, in 19, what was it? 2019. That's when Greta Thunberg had her uh, Fridays for Future International Day of Action. And it was a student walkout. And I was talking to my daughter about it. She was a freshman in high school. Mm-hmm. She had a really heavy trumpet, Will, and a big backpack. You know, like these kids are literally loaded down with books. Mm-hmm. And it was supposed to rain which doesn't happen a whole lot in Bozeman, but huge thunderstorms. And in typical mom fashion, I said, hey, honey, why don't I pick you up when you walk out? Because you have my permission. I'm an environmentalist. You want permission to walk out of school. I'll pick you up. You can drop your, your trumpet off and I can drive you to the protest site. Mm-hmm. And she was so angry with me. Well, <laughs> she was just like, okay, first of all, there's so many wrong things with this mom. Uh, one, it's a walkout. And we're going to walk to the protest site. Mm-hmm. Two, you're going to offer to drive me in a car to a climate rally. <laughs> and three, I am so worried about our future, mom. You cannot wait for us to clean up your mess. And she was talking about how the media talks about how Generation Z is so innovative and cool, which they are but that they're running out of time. And so it was almost to a point where, uh, well, I had to defend my environmental record to my 15 year old. I mean, she was 14 at the time, but I had to be like, wait, 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 you know, I'm an environmental lawyer. Look what I've done. But it was one of those turning points where I didn't realize the pain that she had because of climate change. I knew about Greta, obviously, and you know, the, the students that were with her, but it was a lot like, I think for I'm Gen X, um, a lot like, uh, the nu- nuclear war when I was growing up, this fear of absolute destruction. So that's what sparked my interest in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that kind of t- took me on this whole journey. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. I see as a functional medicine practitioner all day long, this bi-directional relationship between thoughts and emotions 
and our physiology. Physiologically, things like underlying gut problems and inflammation and hormone imbalances could impact your mental health. And conversely, people that are going through situational things in their life, stress and trauma can really impact your physical health as well. Remember, our brain is part of our body. So taking care of our mental health is taking care of our physical health and vice versa. And that's why I love BetterHelp because they're dealing with the mental emotional side of your total health. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. What it is, is professional counseling done securely and privately online. You can send a message to your counselor anytime and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions all without ever having to sit in that uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it super easy and free to change counselors if you need to. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. The service is available for clients around the world. Find the particular expertise you need online. Don't limit yourself to the counselors located just in your town, just in your city. Licensed professional counselors who are specializing in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping problems, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBTQ matters, grief, and self-esteem. Anything you share is confidential. It's super convenient, professional, affordable, and you have to check out the testimonials that they post daily on their website. Again, this isn't a crisis line. This is professional counseling, professional therapy. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash ABW. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of the mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash A-B-W. Hydration is one of the most important aspects in living a healthy lifestyle and waking up each day feeling your freaking best, whether you're getting in your morning workout, hiking in hot temperatures, or you struggle with headaches, muscle cramps, or fatigue, electrolytes are very critical. I have to tell you, when I'm looking at labs, the amount of electrolyte imbalances that I see, very common, and it can contribute to you not feeling good. People struggling with fatigue and headaches and muscle cramps and so many other health issues. It's very important. Drink Element replaces these essential electrolytes without the sugar, artificial ingredients, coloring, and other junk ingredients found in popular electrolyte drinks on the market today. Element was developed by Rob Wolf, a former research biochemist and two times New York Times bestselling author, and his coaches, Tyler and Louise, because they were frustrated with the lack of healthy electrolyte options on the market. Their customers include three Navy SEAL teams, as prescribed by their master chief, Team USA Weightlifting, and dozens of NFL and NBA teams. As a member of our community, Element has a very special offer for you. You can claim your free Element sample pack. You have to check this out. They taste so good and they are so effective. You only cover the cost of shipping. Just go to drinkelement.com slash art of being well. 
That's drinklmnt.com forward slash art of being well. It's my go-to electrolyte drink. I have it every day. Thank you very much. Check it out. You mentioned earlier about the things that happened in 2020 with the wildfires and the hurricanes and all the other things. And then we got hit with a global pandemic. Um, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, (laughs) there there was that thing. (laughs) Which, so I've heard some environmentalists, and I'm curious about your opinion on this, if, if there's evidence to show this or if it's not, that climate change... And specifically how we were handling thing, how, how, what's going on in China played some part in the, the genesis of COVID-19. Is there any, any evidence of that or no? There is. I am not the expert in that, Will, but I highly recommend a book by another Bozeman writer. His name is David Quammen. He's an amazing science writer, and he has a book called Spillover that was interestingly written like eight years ago that predicted a global pandemic and does make the connection to climate change, um, increasing the transfer of animal viruses to humans in a pandemic way. But that's the extent of my knowledge and expertise on that. Yeah. Go read someone else's book. <laughs> yeah. But but it's a fascinating read. And, and yes, it's true. Like it, it, I think climate change is one of those issues that will affect every aspect of our lives and every industry from yeah. education, healthcare, to the food industry, obviously energy industry. It is a disruptor in a way that we, we haven't experienced in our lifetimes, but our mm-hmm. kids are. Mm-hmm. You talk about, uh, you refer to it as the eco-anxiety trifecta. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, that's kind of um, the the perfect storm that we have that's really affecting Generation Z. So the first, as you mentioned, is generalized anxiety. Mm -hmm. You talked about you have many patients that have anxiety, and this is a growing issue with Generation Z. They're the most anxious and depressed generation in history. Now, my daughter will say it's because Generation Z is really open and comfortable talking about mental health which I think is really important. The statistics show though, that they are at a higher level of anxiety than other, mm-hmm. than other generations are. The second is loneliness. Mm. What's so interesting with this hyper-connected world that we have where, you know, I can know what you're doing and where you're going on vacation. <laughs> you can know what I'm doing and we yeah. can connect, you know, even from Montana to where you are. There is a sense of loneliness. And Generation Z, according to a recent report in uh, Cigna, which does a loneliness index, the eight out of 10 Gen Zers experience feelings of loneliness compared to five out of 10 baby boomers. So these kids are lonelier than the elderly. Mm-hmm. It's such an issue that even the United Kingdom has a loneliness minister where they're trying to create more community connection. So any solution we have, I think community connection is really important. And that's really about a lot about what you do. You know, well, your, your books aren't just about, you know, a, a healthy lifestyle. It's also about building community and connection with others. And then the third thing in the trifecta is also this hyper awareness of environmental issues. So the mm-hmm. social media, as I mentioned, isn't just like, oh, look what Will's wearing to so-and-so's party. Will got to, mm-hmm. Will, Will went to Heather's party, you know, <laughs> look at, his, you know, and I didn't yeah. get invited, which is kind of as a parent, your frame, you think it's an exclusionary thing. It's actually, did you see this article? Did you see what's happening here in Alaska? Did you see the impacts here that we're seeing the wildfires in Australia? All of that news is shared with these young people really quickly. And it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. 
Right. And it's that double-edged sword, right, of technology and modernity, the way that we see it. It's, it's, it's educating people, it's empowering them, it's informing them, but it also is this endless vortex of, of information that's scary with sometimes yeah. not very much context. And it also adds to that isolation sometimes too, which I don't want to get too off topic, but I mean, we'll, I'll, I'll, we'll finish with that. We'll talk about that. But parenting. it's all related. I yeah. mean, I think that's more and more we're seeing everything from equity, the Black Lives Matter movement, mm-hmm. to sustainability, to health and wellness, to our economy. It's all, it's all related. Yeah. So Let's talk about what we can do and yeah. the, what you phrase as one green thing a day. People are listening to the show. What are some practical things we can start doing or our families can start doing? Well, I encourage you to do one green thing a day. That intention matters. And you talk about this. You talk about, you know, in your in your work, the mm-hmm. intention of self-care, mm-hmm. the intention of wellness. Uh, in my view, the intention of caring for the earth and being a good steward is really important. Mm-hmm. First, it starts with compassion, compassion towards yourself, compassion towards your community and other living things. The second is community connection, really encouraging others to think about one green thing a day. And then the third is like actual action steps. So the biggest impact you can make, I highly recommend the book, We Are the Weather. It's a terrific, the, uh, saving the earth or saving the planet starts at breakfast, is um, thinking about meatless Mondays, just one day a week going vegetarian. Because the amount of energy and water that's used in animal agriculture is a huge impact on the environment and uh, mm-hmm. carbon emissions. And the second is um, composting. Again, I told you my story, my secret that I didn't compost until this year. You know, you know, in DC we had you know curbside composting, but I had to do it myself here, and I'm not a green thumb, as my my husband will tell you. Um, <laughs> he, he's in charge of all the living things in the house, uh, not 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 I, not I. Uh, so so that's really important too. And the third is I'm thinking about your energy choices. God, I know that's so geeky, Will. <laughs> I like it. Bring the geek. Bring on the geek. Think about your energy choices. But but um, the New York Times has a wonderful map where you can type in your zip code and find out where your energy comes from. Like you may know your utility provider, but not if you're coal or wind or solar. And you can actually um, pay to switch your energy to solar or wind, either with renewable energy credits or by um, asking your utility company to make the switch. And you can also do carbon offsets. So those are just a couple of ideas of things that you can do. But I think the most important thing is to understand that the intentionality does matter. You get credit for that. Mm-hmm. Certainly. So, I mean, you mentioned being excited about this upcoming administration, the new administration. What are some things legislation-wise that you hope is on the table? Oh, great question. I'm so excited about the net zero energy commitment of the Biden campaign of really pushing towards that from 2030, 2050. Uh, We need to see a real acceleration by 2030. 2050 is the goal to have net zero energy, um, excuse me, not net zero energy, net zero carbon emissions. We do want energy. (laughs) It's the carbon emissions that we don't. So I think that's really critical. Also, there's a big initiative that I think we'll we'll probably hear from the Department of Interior and how exciting is the nominee, Deb Holland, um, to be the first Native American to to run 
yes. the interior department, huge, it just, you know, historical, so inspiring and important. But 30 by 30 is one of the initiatives that the administration is talking about is really by 2030, um, making sure that we're preserving 30% of our land and mm-hmm. making sure that that's protected. So those are, those are all related to climate change. Those are big initiatives. I think we'll hear about the Green New Deal. I think it's important for folks to know that the Green New Deal is a resolution. It's not actually a bill. But the idea is that our recovery, our post-COVID-19 recovery, will really create an opportunity for us to reset, reset and creation of green jobs, reset where we get our energy and how we create it, and reset how we connect with each other in this sustainable way. Okay. So let's, can we talk about the Green New Deal? Because I hear it talked a lot about, you mentioned even just the differentiation between a resolution and, you know, a, a legislation. So like, can we talk about the difference with that? And then what it practically means. Like what, when people say the Green New Deal, a lot of people kind of know it's about the environment, but don't really know what they're talking about. Great, great question too. So the Green New Deal is a resolution in the House and the Senate. And the resolution, a resolution basically says, this is what we believe. Legislation is, this is what we're going to enact. So the importance of the Green New Deal and the intent of it is to change the frame of the debate when we talk about climate change and we talk about how we'll reset after the COVID-19 pandemic ends, which, you know, the light is at the end of the tunnel now, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. So what it encourages folks to do is net zero carbon emissions by 2030 with a real emphasis on solar and wind in the United States, a focus on creating green jobs uh, with high wages, so increasing the uh, minimum wage and focusing on healthcare for all. So it's beyond carbon, it's beyond the green. It really is a set of principles that deal with how we deal with carbon and how we deal with each other and how we show up for each other. What is interesting is that the framers of the Green New Deal, Ed Markey in the Senate and um, AOC in the House, do not think that carbon trading will, um, which you've probably heard of the scheme, like we'll have a stock market uh, for carbon emissions where people can trade, excuse me, trade trade emissions and allowances. We've done this very successfully with acid rain uh, under the Clean Air Act, but their concern is that that where everyone gets an allotment, like will you get a certain allotment of carbon? I get a certain allotment, but I'm not going to use all my carbon, so I'm going to sell you the surplus that I have that I'm mm-hmm. not going to use and you'll buy it from me. So there's market. Um, the framers of the Green New Deal don't think that's going to be fast enough. So mm-hmm. that's why they're interested in just setting a cap and everyone has to, to meet it with incentives okay. for renewable energy. I know that's a lot. No, I, this is what I want to know. <laughs> and I know the people want to know too. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's it's been really important for the discussion. Mm-hmm. I think we'll end up with something that is different than what's um, proposed uh, in the resolution. But the resolution has really driven a critical debate, mm-hmm. not only about energy, but about, as I said before, how we show up for each other. Mm-hmm. So this carbon trading system, is it, how far are we down that road of that even happening? Is that something that's imminently a possibility? So cap and trade is what it's called. This carbon emissions program is happening other places. So China and Europe have instituted it and we, they have seen significant reductions in carbon. 
also California instituted in 2009 within the state, and it's seen about a 10% reduction in carbon emissions from that time period. The problem is, is how we count the emissions. A lot of times we think about like, okay, we want to get back to 1990 emissions. We want to get back to 1995 or 2000 emissions. So we've seen, um, we've seen the system work, uh, the trading system work, but in order for it to be really successful, it needs to be adopted on a larger scale. Certainly in the United States um, using, you know, Europe and China have had a, a lot of positive, positive impact from the trading regime, but we need to see kind of an international move for it to have the impact that we want. Mm-hmm. Got it. So these the one green thing a day, is that something, well, let's just say somebody is, okay, I've got this down. I've done one green thing a day for like 30 days and I'm really uncomfortable at this. This is helping my anxiety because action abates anxiety and they want to do more. They could do two green things a day, I guess. But like, what, <laughs> what, what, what does that look like? What's, is that the goal is to start them off with things that are bite-sized things but to really adopt this as a way of life, right? That's exactly right, Will. That's the, that's the hope is that people do one green thing a day and then they do two green things a day and then they do three green things a day and then they start to look for opportunities where they can make a difference and an impact. And my hope is that folks can start seeing themselves as an advocate because not only could you talk you know, at your church or synagogue or, or mosque, wherever you go, you can talk about the importance of action and climate change. And there's a wonderful group called Interfaith Power and Light, which is all about the uh, religious community and how important it is to act as stewards of God's creation. And climate change policy is one of the big drivers they have. Or you could go to your city council and say, I would like to see more money in, for sustainability in our city mm-hmm. council or go to the school board. I want us to revamp school lunch and make sure we're composting there. So my hope is that people will will move from the personal action of I went for a hike with my family and then journaled and felt a lot better, or I decided to you know start um, a buying organic food and making a lot of meals from home and composting my waste. I hope that they take that and start to think about being more active in their communities and and pushing for policies because ultimately that's the, what we need mm-hmm. to drive us to a, a clean energy economy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. One of the things that I am an advocate for and I really educate my patients and on social media about is supporting whenever possible regenerative farming and regenerative farmers and local farmers. Can you talk a little bit about that and you know the impact that that could have on our environment as well? It's huge. Um, Sustainable agriculture is a huge focus. Um, I highly recommend Paul Hawken, who we both met together, I think, Will. Uh, Paul Hawken from Project Drawdown. He has a tremendous book called Project Drawdown. And what it is, is the top 100 climate solutions. And regenerative agriculture is at the top. I think it's in the top 20. And what that means is that you're really focused on soil health. You're focused on managing the land responsibly, reducing carbon dioxide emissions, um, trying to really focus on local production. So you're not spending a lot of transportation costs and a lot Mm -hmm. of energy getting food from one place to the other. So Mm -hmm. I think that this focus on regenerative ag not only is important for our health and wellness personally and for our community, but certainly for our earth too. So great opportunity there. Yeah. And and go to local farmer's markets, right? Wouldn't you say that's an easy thing for people to 
Oh, absolutely. Farmers markets, CSAs, just be mindful. More and more stores are saying where their produce comes from, trying to buy local, get to know your farmer. There's some great, I think even USDA, the Department of Agriculture has a know your farmer program. So once you start connecting to the folks that are growing your food, and if you, Mm -hmm. of course, can have your own little container garden, depending on where you live, Mm -hmm. it does change your relationship. And I think a lot of what you you talk about, Will, is it changes your relationship with how the food nurtures your body Mm -hmm. and also how you relate to the earth and the environment. So it's a neat win for for everyone, but that's, and soil health and soil conservation is really critical too. Absolutely. I, I saw one, I had one environmentalists talk about when they allow the animals to graze on the grass and when they go to the bathroom in the grass and what that's doing, remineralizing and diversifying the soil, diversifying the plant life and these simple things that we're just really emulating what nature would have done for eons. We've lost touch with that. We have, we have. And I think even Michael Pollan talks about soil and different soil and how food tastes differently based on what soil that it's grown in. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's really important too, when we're thinking about these practices and making sure we maintain them. Yeah, so sustainable agriculture is really important too. And then of course, you know, one of the things that I would encourage folks to do is just, you know, vote with your wallet and vote for sustainability with your wallet and be really mindful about what you buy. And that's a lot of, you know, what we did at, at EWG and EWG is a great resource there for really thinking about the impact of everything from the cleaners that you buy to the food that you buy to a cosmetics, which I know, well, we've talked a whole lot about, about clean mm-hmm. cosmetics, but mm-hmm. that, that does have an impact not only on personal health, but environmental health too. And yeah. then of course, you know, our water, water and water is really critical too. Are you have to be immensely, are you, are immensely proud of the work that you've done with the EWG specifically? I, first of all, I sent all patients to EWG for the Clean 15 and the Dirty Dozen and the, the Skin Deep directory for people to look and vet the products they're using in their home. I mean, you played a major part in, in that. I mean, how do you feel about that? Oh, I'm so proud. It was just a great organization. I was there for nine years of my career. I actually worked there and then went to the Hill and then came back. (laughs) Um, So I had a second tour of duty uh, at (laughs) EWG, but it's just a wonderful group of folks and just uh, great science, wonderful news that you can use that I think is really important. I'm glad it's a resource for your patients. It is. I also was really excited to make the shift to support the national parks and public lands because I think that's something that we all need to keep in mind, even if we don't live near a national park, but I think you might be surprised because there's about 490 or so national Mm -hmm. parks. You might be closer to one than you think Mm -hmm. that just knowing that Yellowstone, knowing that Yosemite, Grand Canyon are preserved for generations is something that is very exciting to be part of for sure. It is. I mean, you're absolutely right. And in a way, I almost see it as an evolving of your ethos is like you were at EWG and then the next chapter was this, this beautiful thing of national parks that you're educating the next generation, this Gen Z when they're normally on their screens to get out and get involved with nature. It's really awesome. It's so exciting. And there's another great organization that I highly recommend your listeners check out. It's called the Children and Nature Network. And it has wonderful peer-reviewed studies about the importance of time outside. And I know you've done stuff on forest bathing mm. and you know, making sure that you take yes. time, but especially for kids for their neurological development, 
just that unstructured play time outside is critically important for stress management, but also for their creativity and for how they learn. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I've, and I'm sure you've seen articles that during the pandemic, a lot of schools are experimenting with outdoor education as mm -hmm. a way to kind of work around the social distancing rules. Yeah. And they've had some really positive experiences with outdoor education during this time. Yeah. So that's something that I'm deeply passionate about too, and goes along with this kind of one green theme concept of making sure that we create that space and intentionality. Every yeah. Day. Let's go back to that. Cause you're right. I've talked about the research around forest, yeah. bathing, forest bathing, but people, maybe people haven't heard me talk about it or they're new to the show or yeah. new to this conversation. That's one green thing for sure. Can you yeah. talk, can you talk about forest bathing and, and what that is? Sure. And I'd love to know what, what you've learned. It's, you know, my understanding of forest bathing, I think in, in Korea, this is pretty common and in actually Japan. I think yeah. in Japan too. Okay. I think it's actually a treatment for young people that are addicted to video games. They actually unplug and forest bathe. So that's spending time outside without any electronic media and for an extended period of time in meditation and sometimes it's a walking meditation. Sometimes it's a community. Sometimes it's alone. That's what I know about forest yeah. bathing. I want to hear from you, Will, because no. I know you've done a lot more research than I have. Well, no, that's exactly what it is. And I'm glad that we could highlight it during this conversation. It's, it's Shinrin Yoku is the trend, is the word for it, the Japanese word for it. But it's South Korea, Japan. That's where it's really being explored and researched for kids. I talk about a great one green thing to do to help with eco-anxiety or just anxiety in general. Absolutely. And I think that quiet time more mm -hmm. and more because we're always getting our different notifications from our phone or, you mm -hmm. know, there's some crazy headline in the newspaper or a YouTube video that we don't want to miss. Just this idea of having that quiet time outside and just being intentional and focusing is really, really mm -hmm. neat. Um, another great resource and, and one of my other acts that I've had in my career is I mentioned earlier working with the National Wildlife Federation. They have tremendous resources, obviously Ranger Rick Magazine, but they have um, great wildlife guides and also a fun program that's a wonderful One Green Thing that actually, Will, your kids might be interested in. It's called um, the Backyard Wildlife Habitat. So you can set up a, a, a wildlife habitat and a pollinator garden in, you know, in where you live, depending on where you live, of course, mm -hmm. and get a little certification and then connect with other neighbors. So you can see kind of as, as um, birds migrate and different wildlife migrate, how they're moving through your community. It's really pretty fun. That's awesome. You mentioned Ranger Rick magazine. You just, yeah. I didn't realize who put that out. I grew up reading <laughs> Ranger Rick magazine. I love that magazine. Is it still around now? It is. It's still around. And National Wildlife Federation produces it. They also have a super cool app, you know, for your Gen Zers. But yeah. it's it's super, you know, positive and fun and upbeat, although it does give good science. And I think that's what you're talking about is our big challenge when we're connecting with Generation Z is the news is bad. It's really scary and urgent, but we need to have this joyful, positive frame in order to bring more people into the movement and discussion mm -hmm. for climate policy solutions. Mm -hmm. And I got to come up with a better term other than climate policy solutions, Will. So if you, <laughs> have, if you have some suggestions, let me know, because your, your book titles are certainly much snazzier than climate policy solutions. So 
I have to think about it. I'll, I'll okay. have a brainstorming session. I'm normally like, I don't know, I'm normally in the forest or uh, like in bed and know something, it'll be like a download from God and it'll be something. But I mean, these these are action steps. These are environmental yeah, they action, are action steps. steps. But can we talk about, you just said a download from God. Like, yeah. I think that's actually kind of neat when we're thinking about a one green thing. Mm-hmm. When you start to create this space and this time for yourself, to, to think about literally the environment that mm-hmm. you're in. And even research says looking at pictures of nature can reduce your cortisol yeah. levels. You know, like it's mm-hmm. it's pretty, pretty amazing. You can create those moments, right? For yourself where you can yeah. get that time to connect to something larger than yourself. And I think that's really an important part of this joyful approach because we do need to act and there needs to be a sense of urgency, mm-hmm. but we also have to exhale and one step at a time, one day at a time, one action at a time and bring people along for sure. Yeah, it's so powerful. And it's true. I mean, it's we are all on this planet together and people of faith, it's interesting, people of faith sometimes are the biggest, or I should say maybe religious, the religious factions of the world, specifically the United States. They're the ones that rally against things like environmental action and being good stewards probably the most sometimes and I don't know if it's intentional but it is such a it's such a essential part of no matter what faith tradition you are is being a, a good steward of the earth wouldn't you say absolutely and I think that's where the framing and a lot of it has to do with just the approach of talking about environmental issues mm-hmm. that fear of things being taken away comes right. in so I think that's where the community can do a much better job of talking mm-hmm. about, no, it's an additive. It's a new way of approaching. This is exciting and we're not going to leave anybody out. Um, we want everyone to be part of that. And that's that's why I mentioned the group Interfaith Power and Light, because yeah. there's a great opportunity for us to talk about the philosophy, but also the ethics and spirituality of, of nurturing for the planet. But it doesn't have to be in a way where you like never get in a car again. <laughs> you know? yeah. like, Like there has to be, there has to be a balance, but maybe your next car, maybe we can create incentives that it'll be an electric car and Mm -hmm. the electricity will come from clean power. So there's ways that we can create frameworks. Can you talk a lot about this, right? Like decision fatigue and trying to set yourself up to be Mm -hmm. like healthy and well, like how can you, you know, don't buy the Doritos if, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're going to eat the Doritos. Yeah. Make sure you're at the grocery store and getting really good fresh fruits and vegetables. Well, it's the same if we can create policy frameworks that make it easier for us to make good decisions for the earth. That's Mm -hmm. going to help us a lot. But there's a lot that's scary that, you know, you can't unlearn. Like a great example, we talked a little bit about water, but Aaron Brockovich has a new book out called Superman's Not Coming, which is a fantastic read. And it's all about the Safe Drinking Water Act. And the Safe Drinking Water Act in the law will... Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's safe. So like the public health standard for a different, for a contaminant, Mm. what our public health officials say is safe is different than the legal standard because the technology costs too much to clean it out. Mm. You know, so you need to, you should definitely have a water filter, you know, make, purchase that water filter if you can. But we also should make sure that we have a system where we supply water filters for school systems. Yeah. Right. Because not everybody can afford that. And I think that's when you talk a little bit about people being left out of the debate, I think we want to make sure that we talk about 
communities that are on the front lines of pollution. And often they're black indigenous people of color. The BIPOC communities hit hardest by climate change, hit hardest by environmental contamination and degradation. And we need to make sure that we put equity in the center of those conversations too. Yeah, absolutely. And we honestly, you said it so well. I mean, you meant, can we talk about the water real fast? Is that yeah. people don't realize that? And what are some affordable like filters that people want to, and what are, what are, what are your most recommended water filters? You know, the Brita does a pretty good job. It really does. You get it at Target or Walmart. It does a very good job. You can, again, EWG is a great resource. You can go to EWG and type in your zip code for their tap water atlas and mm-hmm. see what contaminants are in your local water supplies. And that will also help you figure out what filter to use. Mm-hmm. The Soma filter like looks really cool. <laughs> Do yes. and it works pretty well. Yeah. Um, and then I have a reverse osmosis filter, but again, it's a big investment that mm-hmm. that we made into that. And so that's something that I recommend too that you can do for your house. But you mm-hmm. know, that's that's where we need to have these big comprehensive solutions because what we don't want is for sustainability to be perceived as only available for a few. Like how mm-hmm. much? It's almost like we hear this in the criminal justice system, right? How much justice can you afford? Well, how much sustainability can you afford? Mm. We want to create that culture shift where it's just a given that we're going to provide these opportunities for folks. Yeah. Wow. These are the things that need to be talked about. Yeah. Um, and so much of it is you talk about people are afraid of their, I mean, we are all to varying degrees addicted to modernity. We're addicted to these luxuries. And that when you pull away a substance from an addict, they get they can get nasty and they can get really <laughs> clingy to their, their hit. Uh, yeah. And I think that's, it's sometimes we need to wake up and realize what we're addicted to. And it's so much of it is empowerment and education, I think, is what you're doing. Because when you look and really change the hearts and minds of people, it's not about what you're taking away. It's going to be a no-brainer because people really want the same thing when they start awakening and realizing what's at stake here. Absolutely. And I think when you're talking about addictions, like coal is a great example, right? And, you know, obviously a critical way of life in West West Virginia and Kentucky, but coal is on its way out. I mean, it's a finite resource. It's literally on its way out. It's almost like saying to folks, you have a future in VHS tapes, <laughs> right? Or cassette tapes. It yeah. is because not only has the culture shifted, but the economy shifted, but there are the folks who are used to working in coal can make a shift to work in clean power. There is an opportunity with not a whole lot of training to be able to figure out how to do wind turbines. I know that sounds like, what do you mean you don't need a whole lot of training? But it is doable. It really is Mm -hmm. doable. Or to be an electric car dealer. There are these opportunities for these shifts and investment, but we need to make sure that we create a vision of the future and what's possible that's exciting to people. So Mm -hmm. when they are breaking that, that habit, they see they're excited about that vision of the future. It's not about a loss to it. Mm-hmm. Well said. So the show, as you know, it's called The Art of Being Well. And we've actually interwoven a lot of these things throughout the conversation. So what I want to ask you is, as an expert in her field and something that lives and breathes this stuff and how we've learned through this conversation, that environmental wellness and planetary wellness is human wellness. It's symbiotic. It's really one in the same as above, so below. But what do you know now that you wish you knew 20 years ago uh, about the art of being well when it comes to your work? Oh, what a great question, Will. (laughs) 
Let me think about that. What do I wish? You know what? I wish I knew. This may seem so obvious to people listening, but this is a big thing for me. I wish I knew that my kids would hold me accountable for how the world interacts (laughs) with them. I think I knew, I mean, I knew I'd be responsible for them, but that conversation I tell you, I told you about with my daughter who was 14 at the time Mm -hmm. when she just got so upset about climate change and was saying, you can't wait for us to clean up your mess. That just hit such a chord for me. And I guess I kind of thought I was such a (laughs) do-gooder that I got a pass. Do you know, Will? And that's not how it works. You don't get a pass. You've got, you know, we, we really do need to work together and be partners to Generation Z. We got to hold their hand and lift them up and we have to fix it. We can't wait for them. And I think that if I had known that that would have happened, I probably would have done even more professionally in the climate space. So awesome. I think that's it. And then personally, I wish in college... <laughs> I had your books (laughs) for my personal health. Will there was way too much pizza and beer. (laughs) (laughs) And those years are critical, right? Like if I had just taken better care, you know, from 18 to 21, I wish I wish I had done that. That's good. That's real good. Well, when you know better, you do better. I think Maya Angelou said that. So I I, I hope that to be true for all of us. Definitely, definitely. And I think that's what you know, One Green Thing is all about and dealing with eco-anxiety is all about is that let's do better. You know, we mm-hmm. can, yes, we can get out of bed. We don't have to put the covers over our head. We can get out of bed. Yes, you can still keep your car. You know, <laughs> it's okay. Yes, you can still use Amazon every now and then. You know, but but let's just make these these changes and be intentional each day to shift that culture. So when we have a big, you know, clean energy bill and legislation, and we have green building and design standards that they'll work and we'll have the cultural will for those solutions to make that difference. My friend, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you. Well, it's such an honor. And thanks for all that you do changing people's lives every day. Thank you. If you want to learn more about Heather White's important work, you can check it all out at heatherwhite.com. At the end of every episode, I'll be answering a question from one of you guys. Nothing is off limits. Ask me anything. And you can send your questions over to me on Instagram or Facebook. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have come in on different food philosophies, wellness trends, and ways to approach overall mental, emotional, and physical health and well-being. Thanks for those. And I'm looking forward to seeing what else is on your mind. Now it's time for another Ask Me Anything. Today's question is from David. David asks, hi, Dr. Cole. I hear you talk a lot about intermittent fasting and its impact on gut health, but I'm still unsure on how intermittent fasting improves gut health. Great question, David. Let me break it down for you. Intermittent fasting is one tool that I've used clinically in my functional medicine center to support gut health and many other things. If you want to learn more about this at length, go check out my intuitive fasting episode where I go into a deep dive about all the exciting science and health benefits of different types of intermittent fasting and the topic of 
my third book, my newest book is called Intuitive Fasting. If you want to learn more about it in the book as well, both are great resources for this topic, but specifically the gut supportive benefits, the microbiome balancing benefits of intermittent fasting as far as what you're referring to here. Uh, here are a few key things to take into consideration of how fasting really improves your microbiome and gut health. Your microbiome, for people that are newer to this, it's the trillions of bacteria and yeast in our gut. We have upwards of about 100 trillion bacteria and the yeast and fungus is collectively referred to as the mycobiome. The prefix M-Y-C-O is denoting you know, yeast and fungus. The micro is more so known as the bacterial colony forming units in the gut. So we have trillions of bacteria and upwards of 100 trillion bacteria and about 10 trillion human cells. So we're about 10 times more bacterial than human and gut health influences our immune system, impacts our brain function, impacts inflammation levels, hormone conversion, so much stuff in addition to just digestive health, which is certainly important too for many people. But intermittent fasting or times without eating can be a great way to support gut health in a few ways. Number one is fasting restores your gut metabolism connection. So metabolic problems take root oftentimes in our gut and research has seen this time and time again with studies showing that gut dysfunction and poor microbiome diversity is more common in people struggling with metabolic issues, whether that be weight loss resistance, type 2 diabetes, some metabolic syndrome, somewhere on this insulin resistance spectrum that I talk about. But research also shows that fasting, different types of intermittent fasting or time compressed feeding or time restricted feeding, whatever you want to call it, can reduce the absorption of bacterial endotoxins linked to things like insulin resistance, obesity, and weight loss resistance. So it really improves your metabolism in many different ways. This is the one gut-centric component to the metabolic connection here. Fasting also helps to regulate your microbiome circadian rhythm. So we have certain colonies of bacteria that are higher in the morning and some are higher in the evening. And we have sort of this, this wave-like motion, sort of this gut clock, if you will, throughout the day that ebbs and flows. And we, when people are eating standard Western diet and always eating and always snacking, eating really late in the evening, it can really disrupt that gut microbiome circadian rhythm. And intermittent fasting is a good way to support resetting that gut microbiome circadian rhythm. So this is a great way to bring balance there. And fasting also improves gut inflammation. Systemic inflammation usually begins in the gut because this is where 75 to 80% of the immune system is. Inflammation is a product of the immune system. So fasting lowers this gut-specific inflammation with people that are struggling with different inflammatory GI issues like Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, people that have IBS or irritable bowel syndrome. It can also lower inflammatory markers like interleukin-6 and high-sensitivity C-reactive protein or HSCRP that also are part of this confluence of different inflammatory markers that we see on labs for people, not just people that are struggling with GI inflammation that you notice as GI inflammation, but people that have systemic inflammation as well. Great question.
Thanks again for listening to The Art of Being Well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit follow and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com slash podcast. I'll be back again next Thursday, and I hope you will too. Talk soon.